the valley of death, allegiance to the true God brings hope when there should be none. My name is Mako. If you didn't know, Mako is short for Makoto. And the character for that is, is Jen, like Jen Li or Jen Dao to Jen. So, what's in a name? If I asked you if your name has meaning, I imagine many of you would have an answer. For those of you who have Chinese names, many could tell just by looking at the characters of your name, maybe something that your parents hoped for you. For those with English names, maybe you were named after someone. Maybe it was someone in the Bible. Maybe it was a, a relative of your parents. Well, I guess a relative of your parents would be a relative of you as well. Or someone your parents admired. So there's significance to your name. Or perhaps your parents just thought this name sounded good. And I think we use that standard of a name sounding good today as well. Although it's true, we, we choose many Bible names, I still haven't met anyone named Methuselah or Mephibosheth. <laughs> Perhaps you think your name fits you perfectly. Perhaps you don't. This morning we're going to be in the book of Ruth. And the first two characters we'll be introduced to are named Elimelech and his wife Naomi. The name Elimelech sounds like my God is king. The name Naomi means pleasant. But at first glance, these names don't seem to fit with the story of Ruth chapter 1. At first glance, it may be difficult to see God's kingship in Ruth. But as we keep reading Ruth, we'll see it more clearly. And as for Naomi, the Naomi we meet in Ruth chapter 1 is not in a pleasant mood, to say the least. Ruth chapter 1 may bring up some difficult questions. If God is king, then why would he allow such tragedy to hit this particular Israelite family? Was it punishment for sin? Where did this family go wrong? Since the book of Ruth is telling a story, the, the narrator probably isn't going to stop and, and answer all these questions directly. But as we dig deeper into this beautiful story, we'll uncover much to both teach us, correct us, and encourage us in the faith. Ruth tells a story of God at work, often behind the scenes, displaying his kindness to a particular family, and from that particular family, displaying his kindness to all of Israel. Today, and the next couple times I preach, we'll be looking at the book of Ruth together. The very first few words of Ruth give us the setting for when this happened. This story happened in the days when the judges ruled. The Judges was a dark time in the life of Israel. The last verse in the book of Judges states, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges was a dangerous time. It was a time when people ignored what was right and what was wrong. And it's in this context that we have the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ruth chapter 1. It's also printed in your bulletins. 
This morning we'll look through the text section by section. But before we read the first section, let me introduce a, a main point that we can consider. That main point is this. In the valley of death, allegiance to the true God brings hope when there should be none. We'll walk through this main point in four sections. Almost like we're walking through this story within a story with four chapters. So let me give you the chapter headings. Chapter 1, the valley of death, verses 1 to 4. Chapter 2, no hope, verses 6 to 14. Chapter 3, a pledge of allegiance, verses 15 to 18. And chapter 4, glimmers of hope, verses 19 to 22. So let's begin with chapter 1, the valley of death. Look at Ruth 1, verses 1 to 4. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Since the story of Ruth is set in the time of the judges, we might expect darkness in a dark time, and, and that's how the story begins. The time of the judges was characterized by the sin of Israel. If you read through the book of Judges, the, the sin of Israel just gets worse and worse as you keep going through the book. The narrator of Ruth states that there was a famine in Israel, in this time in the Promised Land, it would be no surprise if the famine was punishment from God for the sins of Israel. That would fit with some of the curses for disobedience found in Deuteronomy chapter 28. The name Bethlehem is ironic here as well. Bethlehem means house of bread. There was no bread in the little town called house of bread. And so this man and his family went to sojourn in a foreign land. But pause for a second and consider the significance of this move. If you had difficulty providing for your family in Shanghai, maybe some of you were thinking of leaving to find food about a year ago, perhaps you would move back to your hometown or move to another country. And, and we would understand your reasons for doing so. But remember that Elimelech and his family are, are leaving the promised land. This is the land that God promised the people of Israel that they wandered through the wilderness waiting to get to. This is the land where God promised he would be present with his people. So it's no small thing to leave the land of promise to go to a land where the inhabitants of the land worship other gods. On top of that, not that long before the events of the book of Ruth, the land of Moab had defeated Israel with the king Eglon of Moab ruling over Israel, oppressing them. God saved Israel from the Moabites in Judges chapter 3. 
Elimelech's name means my God is king, but his decision to leave the promised land seems to display a lack of faith in God. Elimelech's choice may seem reasonable to us, but perhaps that is because we far too often begin with our, our own reasoning rather than begin with a biblical worldview. For example, consider the fact that since Elimelech moved his family out of Israel, there would be no opportunity for them to worship at the temple. There would be no opportunity for them to make appropriate sacrifices to worship God with, with other Israelites. So in today's day and age, that makes me think of when Christians move somewhere where there's no good church to join. And I'm not referring to going somewhere as missionaries with a team to begin a church. That's a different case. But for many of you, you will not live in Shanghai forever. When we think about where we might move in the future, I, I imagine that far too often we begin thinking through the same things that, that any non-Christian would think through first. A job, a place to live, a nice environment. For Elimelech and his family, it looked like food was more available in a neighboring country. And that's not a small thing. For us today, we may be thinking of career advancement. But shouldn't we stop and, and first be thinking, no matter where I go, I must be in a place where I can gather with God's people on the Lord's Day. If we do leave WSBC, our commitment as members is to join another church. We say in our membership covenant, we will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. In verse 3, Elimelech dies. Is this punishment for a lack of trust in God? Possibly. We don't know. The story doesn't state it directly. Losing her husband would have been such a, a sad thing for Naomi. But at least at this point in the story, she still has her two sons who are of marriageable age. After her husband dies, Naomi and the family continue to live in this foreign land and Naomi's sons marry Moabite wives. God warns the people of Israel again and again in regards to intermarrying with worshipers of other gods. From reading further in this story, I think we can imagine that at least Orpah was a worshiper of other gods. Not so sure about Ruth at the time that she was married. And then, as we read, we think that, well, maybe in 10 years, that would have been enough time for Naomi's sons to have children. In Naomi's widowhood, perhaps that would bring a smile to her face. But no children mentioned here. Instead, both Malon and Kilion died. So was this God's continued judgment on Elimelech and his family for leaving Israel? Was this judgment on Malon and Kilion? Perhaps so. But whatever the case, God is behind the events of these first few verses of the book of Ruth. The narrator doesn't mince words. By the end of verse 5, the narrator sums up that the woman, leaving out Naomi's name, was left without her two sons and her husband. It appeared that the family of Elimelech 
would disappear without an heir. The family of Lumlek might simply just die out. It's hard to imagine how difficult this would have been for Naomi. For most of us, our experience is, is losing those who are older than us. We've lost grandparents, or for some of us, our parents are getting older as well. And that's hard enough. But imagine moving to a foreign land and losing both your spouse and two sons. There would be so much sadness in seeing children die before you do. It's hard to imagine how much grief Naomi would have been going through. And on top of that, in a patriarchal society, how would Naomi provide for herself? How would she get food on the table? This is not to say necessarily that Naomi was innocent of all responsibility. After the death of her husband, we don't know. Perhaps she could have seen the need to return to the promised land. But Naomi's grief and pain is relatable. Naomi's left in a foreign land. Her husband and her sons are dead. It's, it's hard to imagine a sadder beginning to a story. That brings us to our second chapter heading, No Hope. Please look with me at verses 6 to 14. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. First, I do have to say that from Naomi's view, no hope may be a fitting chapter heading. But from the narrator's view, there seems to already be a bit of hope. That bit of hope is in verse 6, as the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The famine was over in Bethlehem, and word made it all the way out to the fields of Moab that God is continuing to show faithfulness to his people. But it looks like Naomi is being left out of this blessing. God is blessing his people with food, but Naomi is still off in a foreign land. And so Naomi decides to head back to the land of Israel. And Naomi does not bring, begin her journey alone. Instead, both of her daughters-in-law accompany her. But Naomi seeks to send them back. In verse 8, we read that Naomi blesses her daughters-in-law, saying, Go! 
return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And in verse 9, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Naomi wishes for her daughters-in-law to return to their families. She wishes that the Lord bless her daughters-in-law, and she wishes that the Lord grant them each a husband. Naomi's daughters-in-law have been kind to her, and Naomi herself cannot repay their kindness. Perhaps, but perhaps the Lord would choose to be kind to these two women. At first, both her daughters-in-law are united in saying they will go with Naomi. But Naomi gives a second and even more forceful response. She appeals, appeals to Israelite law in regards to the unmarried brother of a deceased husband marrying the widow as God's means of providing offspring for the family and for protecting the widow. But even in considering this law, there appears to be no hope for Orpah and Ruth. Naomi asks, Even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? Even if Naomi got married this night, what would the age gap be between her sons and Orpah and Ruth? Naomi sums up her plight by saying that it's a bitter thing that the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. The woman cry, and Orpah listens to her mother-in-law and kisses her goodbye. So brothers and sisters, what is Naomi doing here? Her words seem reasonable. She wants her daughters-in-law to be well cared for, and the, the obvious thing that comes to mind for her is that they find good husbands. Naomi also blesses her daughters-in-law with the wish that the Lord will bless them in this way while they are back in Moab. But it seems like Naomi is still thinking of surface-level provision, the kind of thinking that led Elimelech out of the Promised Land in the first place. On the surface, it appears like the best chance for a husband for Orpah and Ruth is that they return to their hometown. And what could be more important for Oprah and Ruth than that they find a husband? Well, there actually is something more important. The Lord has already begun to bless his people in the promised land. Could Naomi trust the Lord to bless her daughters-in-law if they came with her? In other words, Naomi's words are relatable, they sound reasonable, wouldn't it be so much better if Naomi could encourage her daughters-in-law to leave their foreign gods behind and join her in trusting the Lord? Yes, the Lord had been disciplining Israel and the family of Elimelech, but could Naomi in her bitterness still urge two young foreigners to trust in the Lord? Naomi is a complex character. She understands the Lord's sovereignty over the events in her life, and over Orpah and Ruth. But Naomi's understanding of God is not one that wants to tell others, come and see. It's one that begrudgingly acknowledges God's power, but is bitter against him. And perhaps you can relate to Naomi. It's, it's difficult to imagine not being bitter after, after losing who she had lost. 
Perhaps in your own life, you feel like God has taken away much from you already. Perhaps some of the events in the last few years in our city have given you a feeling of something like PTSD. Perhaps you feel the pain of old friends who have moved away. Perhaps you feel like it's hard to make ends meet. Perhaps you feel like you're always under pressure. And so perhaps, like Naomi, you view God with a, a little bit of cynicism. And it's a, a sad thing if our cynicism, our, our lack of hope in God, turns away others from having true hope as well. We know true things about God, but in particular situations we lose sight of him, perhaps even become bitter against him. Let's check our own understanding of God, not only for our sake, but for those of those for those of us, for those around us who are watching. I imagine you know people who have to give up a lot if they follow Jesus. So out of our faith in God, can we tell these non-Christian friends that it's worth it? Some of your coworkers may have it in writing that they're card-carrying atheists. They might risk losing their jobs if they believe in God. You may have met Muslims in this city doing business from other countries or serving food at your favorite Xinjiang Tianjin. What would they have to give up? What would they have to risk if they followed Jesus? Would you be willing to tell them that it's absolutely worth it? It seems like Naomi is doing the opposite of evangelism. And yes, she has lost so much. But if she had eyes to see the kindness that God would display to her in the future, perhaps she wouldn't have been so quick in trying to send her daughters away from the promised land. That brings us to our third chapter heading, a pledge of allegiance. Look with me at verses 15 to 18. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you would die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Orpah left, but Ruth was still clinging to Naomi. Imagine if you were watching this scene, Ruth holding on tight to her mother-in-law and not, not willing to let go. In general, short stories have a climax, and here in verses 15 to 18, we have our climax. The tension has built. Will Naomi literally go all alone back to Israel? Will both daughters-in-law listen to her speech? Orpah did what seems reasonable, and the story doesn't blame Orpah for her actions. But what Ruth does here is extraordinary. Naomi lays down the pressure on, on Ruth for her to leave. It's like she's telling Ruth, look, your sister-in-law left. Those are your people. Those are your gods. If you walk fast, you can catch up with her. And Ruth politely tells Naomi just to stop it. Stop trying to convince her to leave because Ruth is not going to leave. In contrast to Naomi's bitter words, Ruth's words sing. 
As she says, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Ruth's words get stronger and stronger as she speaks. She says she will go with Naomi. She will stay with Naomi. And not only will Ruth accompany Naomi, but she will willingly embrace a new identity. Naomi says that Orpah went back to her people. Ruth says those are no longer her people. Naomi's people are her people, and even more importantly, Naomi's God is her God. Naomi's bitterness against God does not dissuade Ruth from choosing to worship this God. And this commitment is not something that will end when Naomi dies. This change in identity and change in worship is for the rest of Ruth's life. Where Naomi dies, that will be where Ruth dies. That will be where she wants to be buried. Ruth's commitment is not only to Naomi. Naomi will probably die decades before Ruth does. Ruth's commitment is to Naomi, Naomi's people, and Naomi's God. And Ruth does not swear her allegiance to the Lord by any other God. She swears her allegiance by the Lord Yahweh, saying that the Lord should curse her if anything but death parts her from Naomi. So brothers and sisters, what incredible faith is displayed here by Ruth. Ruth is willing to leave her homeland Ruth is willing to leave behind the likelihood of getting married. Ruth is willing to leave behind pretty much all that she has known to go with her mother-in-law. And Ruth's commitment is not only to her mother-in-law, her commitment is meant to outlive her mother-in-law. She is choosing to join the people of Israel in worshiping the God of Israel. Ruth's husband had died as well. One could easily imagine Ruth being bitter at the God of her husband. But instead, Ruth chooses to trust the God of Israel, with her future. It's difficult to understand how Ruth could have such strong faith and strong commitment after all that had happened in her family. But perhaps she could see the hand of God in a way that Naomi could not. Perhaps she could see God's hand even in the death and difficulty of the beginning of this story. Whatever the case, Ruth is ready to show kindness to Naomi for the rest of Naomi's life. Ruth's words are moving. But Naomi responds with silence. No words to express thank you. Just silence. Brothers and sisters, let's consider the extraordinariness of Ruth's pledge. She is committing not only to a person, not only to a country, but to the God of Israel who is God over this world. Some of the greatest examples of faith in the Bible come from those who believed God, who are outside of the people of Israel. For example, the faith of the centurion who trusted Jesus to heal his servant in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus responded, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I imagine a similar phrase could be said of Naomi at that time. Ruth chose to trust that Israel's God would provide for her and her mother-in-law two widows in a land that Ruth had never been to before. If we put ourselves in Ruth's shoes, I imagine we can think of many obstacles to faith. How, how will we eat? Can I even do something to put bread on the table in this kind of society and 
will I ever get married? And I imagine Ruth didn't have answers to these questions. But she boldly proclaimed her loyalty to Naomi and her loyalty to the Lord, the God of Israel. Our faith doesn't come from having all the answers to our doubts and questions. Our faith rests in who God is. Even with the tragedies that had occurred in Ruth's life, Ruth could see that the Lord was God and should be trusted. Do we have eyes to see this? And brothers and sisters, we have so much more to rest our faith on than Ruth did. God would use Ruth as part of his plan for the Messiah who was to come. The God who was working behind the scenes in Ruth 1 would continue working in human history until God himself showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we have the object of our faith and the reason for our faith. In Jesus, we see what God is like. In Jesus, we see God's provision of salvation for his people. The God who Ruth believed in is the God who would raise Jesus from the dead. For those of you who are not Christians, this is the hope of the gospel. The hope of salvation from the punishment you deserve and the hope of eternal life with the God who created you and who loves you. For Christians in this room who may be tempted towards bitterness, and that might be all of us at some point in our lives, meditate on God's kindness towards you in Christ and press on in faith. God is at work in this world, but just like in our passage this morning, sometimes it's difficult to see how he's working. The narrator knows. It's as if the, the narrator is holding back a smile as he writes. But Naomi and Ruth have no idea. That brings us to our fourth chapter heading. Glimmers of hope. Glimmers of hope. Please look at me, with me at verses 19 to 22. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. One might have thought that after Ruth's emotional proclamation of faith and loyalty, this short story would end on a high note. But instead, in verses 19 to 21, Naomi is still bitter with the Lord. The two women arrive back in the town of Bethlehem. The town is in a stir. Words spread in small towns or in places that feel like small towns. That makes me think of when my wife, Ting Ting, brought me back to her hometown after we first got married. It felt like a lot of people knew I was coming. A lot of people had heard that this gal in their Nongtun had gotten married with a foreigner. And so when they met me, they would look at me kind of funny, and some maybe a little entertained and some kind of disappointed. I'd say something like, uh, but you don't look like a foreigner. <laughs> but back to Bethlehem. Naomi has been gone a, a long, long time, and the townswomen are talking with one another. 
it seems like Naomi overhears them and says, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Some of your Bibles may have a footnote next to the name Naomi saying that it means pleasant, and the name Mara saying that it means bitter. Naomi feels that her, her own name doesn't fit her anymore. She lets the whole town know that she feels that the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. She says she went away full, but the Lord has brought her back empty. Twice, Naomi refers to the Lord as the Almighty. Naomi knows who is in charge. But Naomi ignores the fact that she has brought Ruth back with her. Ruth's loyalty and kindness is ignored as she speaks to the townswoman. Naomi says she's come back empty. She thinks she has every right to be bitter against God. Then why call this section glimmers of hope? Because of how this passage ends in verse 22. Verses 19 to 21 mostly ignore, ignore Ruth. But if we look again at all of verse 22, we read, So Naomi returned. The narrator continues to call her Naomi. Doesn't start to call her Mara. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Ruth came back with Naomi. Ruth the Moabite, the foreigner, came back with Naomi. Naomi did not return alone. And Naomi has no idea how God is going to use Ruth to bless her. And notice the time that Naomi and Ruth returned. It was the beginning of barley harvest. Barley harvest began in late April or early May. Wheat harvest would follow a couple weeks later. Naomi and her husband Elimelech left Israel because of a famine. Naomi returns with her daughter-in-law at the beginning of a harvest. Perhaps the house of bread will have bread again, as Naomi had heard. Perhaps there'll be enough bread for the older widow Naomi and the younger widow Ruth. Just perhaps God is working to show grace and kindness to Naomi in her time of need. Naomi knows that the Lord is the Almighty. Perhaps the Almighty would show his might as we continue to read the story of Ruth. And for those familiar with the story, we know the Lord does show his might. The Lord shows his providential care. The Lord will bless Naomi and Ruth. I would encourage you as well to, to spend a, a bit of time reading the book of Ruth on your own. It wouldn't take long to, to sit down and read through the whole book. Throughout the book of Ruth, God is at work. We don't know who wrote down the book of Ruth, but the narrator continues to subtly point to God's providence. At first glance, there might not be obvious miracles, but the little book of Ruth is full of miracles. It's full of divine interventions. For some of you, you may feel like Naomi at the beginning of the book of Ruth. Devastated, bitter, lacking hope. It feels incredibly hard to see how God is working. But you know that he's still at work. And as humans, we know that we can't see the whole picture. We can't see how God is weaving the tapestry of our lives. But even in the dark times, God is at work. The theme of kindness is a theme that will continue to be threaded through the book of Ruth. From verse 8, 
in which Naomi blessed her daughters-in-law, saying, May the Lord deal kindly with you. There's no way Naomi could have imagined how much kindness the Lord would display to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And through Ruth, how much kindness the Lord would display to Naomi. The Lord delights in blessing his people, and Ruth has become one of his people. Ruth decided to throw her lot in with God's people and show radical kindness to Naomi. As as those reading the story want to be able to to walk alongside Naomi and, and tell her there is hope. Welcome to the land that you belong in. Look at the kindness God is showing you through your daughter-in-law. Oh, and by the way, it's harvest time in Israel. Don't give up, Naomi. Have faith. Hope in the Lord your God. And those are words that we need to hear today as well. Don't give up. Have faith. Hope in the Lord your God. Even when all may seem far from well, It is in faith and in hope that we can sing the words to our last hymn of the service today. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that sometimes it's hard to trust you. Lord, we confess that sometimes we become bitter. Lord, would you change our hearts? Would you give us eyes to see the good that you're doing in our lives and in this world? Would um, Would you remind us of Christ? Would you remind us of the blessings that you've shown us in Jesus? Father, we do pray that you would continue to change us, continue to give us hope and trust in the darkness of this world. Lord, would you spur us on to to be witnesses to the good that you're doing in this world, that you're doing in our lives, and most importantly, to the good that you have done at the cross. We thank you in Jesus' name.